Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction for the conviction of things not seen. For by for by it men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the words were prepared by the word of God. That the worlds were prepared for the word of God. So that so that what is not seen was not made of was not made out of things which are visible. Chapter 7, that's where we're going to be at today. Luke chapter 7. There is a, just an announcement that, uh, uh, just to make for everybody. Myron Bruce was here this last week. And as we've been walking through here the last while, talking about what additional staff looks like and expanding that in the church here, there's Myron has decided, he wrote a really nice email, I talked to them this last Monday, and said that just meeting the church here was great, but he and his wife decided uh, to take, he's going to be a superintendent of a, a small Christian school in East Texas, and so he thought that was the, the right match for him at this point in time, and they were offering him a job right now, and, he, and so he, he jumped on that. And so we're just going to continue to pray and see where God opens doors, and, uh, and we don't, uh, the elders and myself don't know what the next step looks like, but we're just going to keep seeing where God opens doors, and let's just continue to pray and, and see, where, see what happens and see where we go from here. Now, how many of you have been given a gift by somebody that you cherish and you still have, and it means a lot to you? Okay. I think all of us have at some point in time. And I think about it. My kids, both of them, are taking woodshop right now at, at Belgrade Middle School. And it's been really fun because they'll come home with these projects that they build, and they, they, they've, I've, have several gifts here lately of something that my kid has, has made uh, that, that is just for me. Here the other day, Luke brought uh, a keychain home that had, he did some leather work. There was a picture of a duck on it, and it was this, uh, this leather keychain. And he brought it home, and he gave it to me, and I appreciate that. And I, I, I look at it, I've got it in a place where I look at it, I'm going to put it on my keychain, and, and that's going to be my new keychain. Just think about what would happen if... Luke gave me that, something that he has made himself, that he's put a lot of TLC in. And I took it, and I walked over to the computer, and I put it on eBay for sale, right in front of him. You know, I, 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 that wouldn't go well, would it? I think many of you would be upset with me for doing that, and rightly so. And that's, when we look at what happens in Scripture with the, the Israelites, is God has spent all of this time with them, all of uh, creating the world, bringing them out of Egypt, uh, sending the ten plagues, had they crossed the Red Sea, they went into an, a territory of their own, gave them the law, and year after year after year sent prophets and sent people to say, this is what I want you to do, this is what I, who I am, and I want you to look like me. Okay, take these qualities that I have and demonstrate those. Love your neighbor as yourself. Honor me above all else. And he goes through and God just gives his best to the Israelites. And what happens over and over again is the Israelites say, ah, no thank you. I'm going to go chase this other God. I'm going to go do something else. And that's what I'm, I'm going to put my efforts into. And that happens over and over and over again. And so when Jesus finally comes, as we've been walking through Luke, what you've seen is... They haven't got it all dialed out yet. The same types of things were happening. And as you go through the first chapters of Luke, Jesus has some experience with religious leaders. He goes to his hometown, 
And he tells them about the mission that he's going to be on. And as soon as Jesus talks about the Gentiles coming into, non-Jews can be part of the, the kingdom of God, they say, get out of here, and they try to throw them off a cliff. They are not receptive to that part of the message of God at all. They, uh, just imagine those people that you've grown up that have been spiritual mentors for you turn on you in a flash because you say something that steps out of their comfort zone and they, they're going to throw them off a cliff. And Jesus walks through them and, and goes off and, and continues to share the message of God somewhere else. We see that uh, if you turn back a page, that Jesus calls a guy named Levi, who's a tax collector and becomes one of his 12 apostles, But he goes and he eats with these tax collectors. And the religious leaders say, wait a minute, Jesus, you can't do that. Do you know what these people are into? Do you know what that reputation is? And if you're eating with them, you know how that looks to everybody else? This is a bad deal. You can't be doing that. And Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call the sinners to repentance. In other words, they're the ones that are listening. And so I'm going to be happy to share the message of God with them. He continues, Jesus, the next thing what happens, the religious leaders say, wait a minute. Why do our disciples and John's disciples fast? We're spiritual, and yours don't. You're not spiritual, is, is really what they're getting at there. And Jesus says, there's going to be a time that that's going to happen, but understand, things are different now. And he goes into, as he's, he's walking, he, um, his disciples take some grain and they start threshing it with their hands. He heals somebody on the Sabbath. The religious leaders get upset about that. Wait a minute, you can't do that. That's working on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. And Jesus just says, look... I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm bigger than all that. And so Jesus, with his own people, with the people that have been given so much by God, that have been shared everything, God has shared his very heart and soul with these people, their response is, huh, not interested. I want to do something else. I'm going to chase something else. And so here you have Jesus' experience with the religious leaders is not great. In the, in the time between that, we see, uh, if you look at chapter 6, Jesus has what we spent the last few weeks on, the Sermon on the Plain, where Jesus talks about, this is what you're supposed to look like. In contrast to what you've seen or what I've walked through with with my own people, my own religious people, this is what you're supposed to look like. You're supposed to love your enemies. Okay, that's, that is what loving your neighbors yourself means, is that people that are unkind to you, you find ways to love them anyway. And, and boy, you can imagine people turn their heads thinking, wait a minute, how do I love somebody that, that doesn't love me, that treats me poorly? And Jesus, what he's teaching them is how to break that crazy cycle where we just don't forgive each other, we, we build up all this animosity, and, and it just gets, gets horrible. Jesus is saying, you can, there's ways around that. Love your enemy. And, and you're going to, to look so different from the rest of the world. And in addition, don't go around being critical. Don't judges that's what he's getting at in this context here is there's some people that love to just go around and correct everybody don't be like that that's not what my kingdom is about but what i want you to focus on is having great foundations and great spiritual fruit look at those things and produce those things and he tells the story about the a tree that doesn't produce good fruit and, and he talks about foundations that that are washed away because they're not they're not built on something great and Jesus says, that's what my, my people are supposed to look like. And so Jesus comes along. The next thing we see is in Luke chapter 7, verse 1. He goes to Capernaum, where he's staying at at that point in time. And something happens here, and I'm going to read through it. Chapter 7, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders to the Jews to 
to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd. Following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. When the men who had been sent returned to the house, then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Man, what a story here. We're going to walk through this and, and talk about what's going on here. Okay? So this centurion, centurion is a, is a Roman soldier, is a Roman military officer. He's in charge of about 100 people. That's how it worked. And so if he's in Caesarea, he's probably working for Herod. We don't know that, but that's, that's probably the case just from history. So this guy is, is someone that is, and you notice here, is very highly regarded. But typically, Roman centurions among the Jewish people were known as those military officers of the occupying army. They're unethical. We want them out of here. They're terrible. They eat bacon, all this kind of stuff that we don't do. And these people are nasty. They're the face of nasty. And this centurion, you notice what happens? Is that he doesn't go to Jesus himself. But he asks the Jewish elders in Capernaum. These are the people, or some of the, the same types of people that Jesus has been having issues with. But they go and they say, Jesus, there's a centurion that he's very concerned about his servant. He values highly. His servant is sick. And he deserves to have him healed. Because, you notice what he says, because he built our synagogue and he loves our nation. So there's something about this centurion and maybe about this Jewish community there that he's a part of or that he is watching. What, what they were called, there was oftentimes within the Jewish synagogues in this time period, there were people, they called them God-fearers. There were people that hadn't become full, integrated into the Jewish community. But what they did is they would go to the synagogue and they would sit in the back because they loved to hear about this God that had created the world. And it was like nothing else they heard anywhere else. And so the centurion, very likely, that was his situation. He was there at the synagogue. He listened. He participated as much as he could, being who he was. But he sat and he listened. And so when, the, he, when, when it was time to give, when it was time to build the new synagogue, build the new church building, this centurion came to the table and footed the bill and paid for a lot of it. And he, he supported whatever was going on within this community so that they could get the message of God out. There's a Gentile among these people that, that, are, that are people of God. And you, you see what's happened here is he has developed such a reputation that the Jewish elders go to Jesus and say, please, will you do this? We think so highly of this guy and who he is. Please heal his servant. And so Jesus goes, and Jesus is on his way. Now think about what's going to happen next. As Jesus has to go over to this Gentile's house, and remember, all these dietary laws, the Gentiles, Jews did not go in the houses of Gentiles because you never know what's in there. You never know what they've touched. Jesus is on his way to go there. And this military leader says, sends servants to say, look, I don't feel worthy for you to even come into my house. Don't worry about it. But as a military officer, I know something. I know that I can give an order and somebody does it. I don't have to be there. I don't have to touch. I don't have to finish the project. I know that if I give an order, something can happen. And that's who you are. You can do the same. 
you can give an order. You don't have to come into my house. You don't have to walk through all this discussion of is it clean, is it not. You don't have to do that. Just say the word, and I know that you're powerful enough that however this power works, healing is going to happen. And there we are. And Jesus, you can imagine, as he turns around, he looks at his disciples and he says, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Have you ever felt sometimes that if you, and some of us, hopefully this doesn't happen a lot, but we get in these situations at times where we think, man, sometimes people outside of the community of God are more faithful and more holy than the people in the community of God. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there? Well, that's exactly where Jesus is at, right here. Why on earth are my people that I grew up with in the synagogue that I grew up in that were spiritual examples for me or these religious leaders that are supposed to be examples for other people, why are they not as faithful as this person that shouldn't even be a part of the community of God? You know, that's, that's the, the tension that Jesus is feeling right here. I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And this isn't new. This happened at different times. If you know the story of Naaman in the Old Testament, the Syrian general that is, has leprosy, and he travels to go see Elijah, and he's healed, and he, he dips in a dirty, nasty river, and there's better rivers back home, but he stepped out in faith and he did it because that's what God asked him to do. And he's held up as someone who is faithful, and he's a Gentile. He's totally different. You see... Uh, uh, the widow of Zarephath, there's all sorts of people that you see in the Old Testament, these Gentiles that stick out as people of faith, surrounded by people of God that are not demonstrating what God wants them to be. And here you have Jesus. You can feel the tension, and you can feel the frustration in his voice. I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. And these servants go back, and they find that this servant has been healed, and the man is well. What an amazing, amazing story of faith. And I look through this and I think, boy, what made this centurion tick? Because okay, that's the kind of faith I want. I don't want the type of faith of the, the religious leaders who have been given everything and, and produced no fruit or very little spiritual fruit. But this centurion had to overcome all sorts of obstacles in order to come to God, and he is producing a huge amount of fruit is what it looks like. And so what is it about this centurion, what is it about his faith that makes him tick? Something I noticed when I walked through this is that this centurion had a desire for Jesus or a desire to be near Jesus. You see that. Is he is, uh, he's got this, this, this desire that I know that my, this, this servant of mine is healthy. I can go to the gods of my people. I can try to, to go to all the, the doctors, whatever. But I'm going to try this Jesus guy because I've heard so much about him. And I desire his influence and his presence more than anything else. There was a, a few of us went to, uh, I don't know, how there may have been others that were there yesterday. It was $2 day to watch the Lady Bobcat basketball team play Eastern Washington. And uh, it, was, it was really fascinating to go and watch. Um, those girls play with heart. They play tough. But I noticed they had something at halftime. They had, I think they called it the baby race. Uh, how many of you are familiar with that? There's some parents get out there. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. Parents get out there with their infants that can, they can just barely crawl and put them, line everybody up in the court, and then they try to get the babies to crawl to the center court line. And it's really funny watching it because those babies have no idea what's going on, and they don't care at all to crawl to the center court. 
They're not interested in that. And so parents are out there doing all sorts of things to try to get their kids to crawl. And these babies are looking around. They look around, then they crawl the other direction. And you see the tension of the parents. No, no, come this way. The babies are not interested. You know, whatever. They're just, they're just, there's not much desire there to get to the half line. You know that when I, I've coached little kids soccer, when Sarah first started playing, there was a recreational league, and I volunteered to coach. And I had these five-year-old little girls. And the intensity and desire to score goals was absolutely zero, non-existent. I can tell you, all those little girls were much, much more interested in this dandelion that was right there than kicking a goal. And they would lay on their backs, and they'd roll around, and I could be out there on the field with them. And thought, what on earth is... And so what I figured out is I got some of the other parents involved, and whenever those girls were aggressive and whenever they scored a goal, they got candy. And they, they sat down there. One of the parents sat down there with a bag of candy. And it, all of a sudden, okay, wait a minute, I'm going to do something here. But you see, those girls don't have, at that age, a desire to score goals. Well, watching the Lady Bobcats yesterday, they lost by two in overtime. But that desire to put that ball in that hoop was off the chart. The intensity that they play with, the desire they play with is huge. And this centurion here, as he is reaching out to Jesus, he's got a desire. He's going to overcome whatever obstacle it takes in order for him to be in contact with Jesus. He understands where real power is and who Jesus really is. And we'll get to that in a second. But he is excited about what Jesus can provide. And so his desire is, is phenomenal to pursue that. The centurion's faith, we also see it, is that he has an understanding of Jesus' power and nature. There's a, Jesus, um, I don't know what the centurion knew about Jesus, just what he, other people had told him. Uh, that's what we can assume. But he understood something about Jesus that, that the Jews around Jesus did not. Jesus talks about the Jews are always looking for a sign. They want me to place their hands on people. They want to be healed. That's, you know, that's, that's the, the way to do it, right? You place your hands on somebody, power of God comes out of Jesus and goes into that person, the person is healed. But this centurion realized something very different about Jesus that was not common there. The centurion realized that this Jesus guy doesn't even have to touch, doesn't have to see that he can heal from long distance. And I understand that because as an officer, I can get things done without being there because I tell somebody to do it and they go and do it. And this Jesus guy, what I know about him is he's got to be the same is that when he tells somebody to be able to, to do something, then they go and they do it. And that somehow is how this is going to work. And so he understands that from whatever he knows and whatever he, under, he, he understands or however he has been taught, he understands that Jesus is bigger than what most of the people around Jesus understood that he was. And the centurion's faith is also, you see, that he has the humility to consider and bless others. All throughout this story, what you notice about him is this centurion cares about his servant, doesn't he? He doesn't say, oh, you know, I can get another servant. Those are a dime a dozen. I'm going to go just buy another one at the servant store, however that worked. What he does is he goes out of his way to think about the well-being of that servant, and he's trying to, to do whatever he can to get that servant healed. You notice that he cares about the Jews and the synagogue. He pays for it, the synagogue, to be built. He uh, loves their people. This guy is unselfish. He has the humility to consider and bless others. Because that, generally speaking, the centurions at that point in time, they were stationed there. They would have been top dog. They went around. They did whatever they wanted to maintain order. 
But this guy had a different, uh, he walked to a different drum. He had something in him that caused the Jews to really highly regard him because he had the humility to consider and to bless those around him. And he does that with Jesus as well. When Jesus is on his way to the house, the centurion says, no, you don't need to come to my house. I'm not worthy. What he's saying is, I know as a Jew, you coming into my house is going to create issues. You don't need to do that. It's fine. I don't need to prove anything here. And so every point throughout this story, this centurion is showing that he has a humility to consider and to bless others. Okay, think about those things. Desire, understanding, and humility. Those things all work together to make a great faith with this centurion right here. So I found this. I uh, thought this was a, a, neat, a neat slide here. This guy decided that he was going to be a soldier for hire, not one that was, that was a mercenary, but one that was a soldier for something much, much higher. So I think about that for us, and I've, I've fl- reflected on that this week, is what does it look like for me and you to, to have this type of faith in following God? You know, first of all, again, we'll go back to this because I've got them all listed here, is, is to, be, is to have, have desire, a desire for Jesus and following him and being what, what he wants me to be. Uh, I was uh, here um, this... Um, on Friday, uh, Don Rogers and myself and my two children, we met up and we went and, and skied at Bridger and uh, got to ride the little lift with some interesting people. And Don and I were on the lift at one point in time with a girl. And we started talking about, hey, how would you end up in, in Bozeman? What brought you here? And we started talking. And she had uh, uh, played for the MSU golf team and had, had spent four years doing that and now works in the community here. And it was interesting talking with her because we started talking about college sports and stuff. And, and what started it is I said, I, I played college sports, and I, I think probably golf is one of those sports that you could play and still like it afterwards because oftentimes what happens, you do college sports, you push your body so hard that when you're done, you're done, and you're ready to not ever see a basketball or football again, at least for a while. You need to take some time. And she said, yeah, that's it. I miss it. I actually I still enjoy to play, and I enjoy to do that. And there's times, definitely, when I was playing competitively that I did not want to be there. I wanted to do anything else except for see my golf clubs. But I still went out and I still practiced and I still did that because I knew I had to do that in order to be good. And so desire, sometimes we, we miss it and think that desire has to do with me feeling like I want that. Okay? Honestly, if all of us are going to be sincere and honest, there's times we go through life and we think, I don't desire Jesus at all right now. I would rather do my own thing. I'd rather play my, my own game and, and just run from Jesus because I'm convicted right now or I've got sin in my life I don't want to deal with, whatever it may be. But desire is a choice. A desire is a choice saying every day, day in, day out, I'm going to pursue what Jesus is all about. No matter what, there's times that... I don't feel like it. There's times that I want to do something else, but I know that this is right, and so I'm going to choose this to be a desire in my life, and I'm going to pursue him. And I'm going to pursue understanding. And I know that the more I understand Jesus and who he is and what he's all about, the more I'm going to look like him. Now, Paul, in in Ephesians 1.17, you look there, he says, he's telling the Ephesians, I pray that you will know him better. And all the things that, God, that Paul could have prayed for those Ephesians, I pray that you'll have a comfortable life, you know, whatever else. Use your imagination. Paul could have prayed for all sorts of things. He said, I pray that you'll know God better. Because when we know God better, what happens is we get transformed to look more like him. Because if we think that, 
If we have a misunderstanding about God and we think God is aloof and distant, then we tend to not reach out to him. If we think God is harsh, then we tend to, to run and hide from him. You see what happens? When we have a misunderstanding of God, it reflects how we interact with him. But when we see the life of Jesus, who is God in the flesh that came and, and lived among us, we start to understand that this God that we serve is, is the best news out there, better than anything else we could have ever imagined. And so that is something for desire and understanding. I can help you on that path, but you have to decide you want it. I cannot do that for you. Nobody else can do that for you. We have uh, Bible classes on, on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights, other extra times that you can come and you can participate and, uh, and learn about God's Word. Each one of us can decide day in, day out, I'm going to read God's Scripture every day because I know that's good for me. That's important for me to, to understand what God wants me to be. And then humility. Consider and bless others as we walk through life. That's important because we can have desire and understanding and not be humble at all, and that is, in a sense, what happened with the Jews of Jesus' day is they missed out on the humility, and so they had a lot of head knowledge about what God is. They had the desire, but they didn't have the humility that helped them see how God could work. Here's a couple of examples of, of what happens when, when uh, egotism or whatever gets in the way. How many of you know who Walter Cronkite is? Yeah, he was a, 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 a news anchor for, for many years. And I'll read this because I thought this was, this was entertaining because I think all of us can relate to this in some way. Walter Cronkite recalls the following incident. Sailing back down the Mystic River in Connecticut and following the channel's tricky turns through an expanse of shallow water, I'm reminded of a time a boatload of young people sped past us, its occupants shouting and waving their arms. I waved back a cheery greeting, and my wife said, Do you know what they were shouting? And I said, Why? It was, Hello, Walter. I replied, and she said, no, they were shouting, low water, low water. You see what happened? Maybe we just hear what we want to sometimes and inflate our own ego up. Kids were trying to help say low water, and he thought they were, they were congratulating him or, or loving his fame, that sort of thing. Think about this one as well. There is a, and I'll, I'll give you the phrase, this min- I won't read all, all through it here, but this minister was was preaching and many, many people were coming to listen and there was big, big crowds. And someone says, does that ever go to your head? Do you think that that's, that, that makes you, you, you puff up? And he said, this is his answer. No, the donkey went into Jerusalem and they put the garments on the ground before him. He was not proud. He knew it was not done to honor him. But for Jesus, who was sitting on his back, when people honor me, I know it's not me, but the Lord who does the job. It's a pretty good message there, isn't it? Is that if we think of ourselves... In, in proper context, that Jesus is the one who does everything through us. It, all the good that comes out of it is beca- us is because God's Spirit working in us transforms us to be who he wants us to be. That helps us to see the world through much, much more humble eyes than look what I have done, look what I am all about. And as I look at these things here, I think about this, this centurion who Jesus praises He's walked through all these people that should be greatly spiritual and said, I wish they were more like this guy right here. For us to be loved by God and, and, and honored by God greatly, it's not about family history, it's not about the clothes that we wear, it's not about how long we've been a member of the church, it's not about all of these different things that we add up there. All those things can be great. But it's about having a desire and understanding and a humility to follow Jesus and let, let him be who he is and, and us um, 
humble ourselves to be that, uh, be that for him. Um, I think about, uh, I hope for all of us as we look through this this week, that that we can, for myself, I'll speak to myself. Again, preaching is just myself, me working myself out in front of all of y'all, okay? All of you, whatever, okay? So I want to be one that desires God, that desires his, to understand and the humility to to realize in every situation it's never about me. It's about what can I do in order to bless the people around me. And this centurion provides a great example of that. And that's really what, what uh, living the abundant life of Jesus is about. That's what we want to do as a church, is get back to the basics and live out this abundant life of Jesus uh, without all the distractions and such like that that come in, but live day by day, be the people that God wants us to be. And if you're sitting here today and you think, man, I don't have that. I have, do not have the peace. I don't have all of this in my life. And the elders are waiting in the back. They're willing to pray with you. If you'd like to become a Christian today, today is a great day to do that. And let's stand and sing together.